what we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome to the Hustle Sold Separately. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to doers, creators, entrepreneurs, hustlers, innovators, uh, musicians, artists in and around the world, uh, you know, you name it, people in a wide variety of industries. All of you guys are probably thinking way outside the box, probably misunderstood, uh, probably do not draw inside the lines, and you're on this beautiful discovery of I'm going to figure it out. Um, you're not alone. Everybody that comes on, every guest that comes on the show is that way. I'm that way. Everybody that listens seems to be that way. And if you're not, it's cool. Anytime you're ready for that, we got you too. Uh, and I really, really appreciate each and every one of you guys. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been growing quite a bit. So I just want to do a quick shout out to everybody that's been, um, you know, kind of pouring in with more of comments for all of our newer subscribers. You know, please welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm Matt Gottesman. I'm founder of uh, Hustled Separately and uh, you, you, uh, several other ventures. You can reach out to me at Matt Gottesman on Instagram. Please feel free to reach out about anything. Um, if you want to join in the conversation about entrepreneurship, creativity, and culture, that conversation is happening over my HDF Magazine channel on Instagram. Of course, you can follow at Hustle Sold Separately on Instagram as well, too. And you guys know for the last seven, eight years, I have answered each and every single one of your texts, DMs, replies on the wall, you name it. Um, and I never get tired of it because, uh, we're a global audience. And so I really appreciate each and every one of you. And again, for all of you newer, it's the same thing for you guys. Like, please feel free to reach out. Uh, I make it very, um, open and, and I know our guests are always, uh, you know, welcoming to you guys as well too. And again, for those that are newer, um, the show, you know, we're really focused on not glamorizing or glorifying and success. It's just not that way. Uh, everything is a journey and um, we're constantly figuring out things about ourselves. So are all my guests, whether it's their first venture, their 50th venture. Everything is always a learning process and everything is always, you know, coming from a place of um, what did I what am I doing and how am I making this better? That's kind of part of why we're really here anyways in our existence. So um, today's going to be another great show. And I've got Chris Loeffler and he's the CEO and co-founder of Caliber. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But we're going to be talking a little bit about this whole journey and that like every deal that you do, every, you know, every business deal, every, you know, thing that you come across, it has a story. There's more going on behind the scenes and usually leading up to something else, you know, and this idea of kind of just never stopping. And, and, and my, my opinion, when it, when I was first thinking about this theme, it really hit me hard about there's a lot of puzzle pieces that you sometimes just can't see right away, but you can feel it. And I think that you have to be willing to put some of the puzzle together, do certain deals, do certain things, bring certain people together, have certain things happen that may not fully make sense now, but they make more sense later. Although we might not even be going down that rabbit hole. It's just that it was something that hit me very hard. And I just I want to share that with all of you guys that, you know, this whole thing um, has um, has a connecting of the dots, if you will. So I want to queue up Chris's bio and and welcome him into the show. And then we're going to dive right in. Uh, as I mentioned, Chris Loeffler, he's CEO and co-founder of Caliber and serves as the chairman of the company's board of directors. And uh, as CEO, he directs and executes global strategy, oversees investments and fund management and contributes to private and public capital formation. And as co-founder, he also took an early role form in the company's financial and operational infrastructure. 
Uh, that is not always easy, people. <laughs> so I want you to listen up and pay attention. Uh, navigating the vertical integration of real estate and investment services. And they do some really, really unique projects, which is why I'm excited to have him on. And then prior to forming Caliber, he served as senior associate in the audit and assurance practice for PricewaterhouseCooper in Phoenix, Arizona, completing public company audits, developing control systems, and completing several acquisition of sales or sale transactions. Guys, these are the infrastructural type of things behind companies that I got. I want you all to like know and understand. And that's what I mean about there's no glamorization because you sometimes see the, the you know the brands online and you see all these people like doing all these things. But there are things in place that help manage all of this. And so, you know, and, and the Chris's of the world really help make that possible. Um, some of their clients have included Honeywell International. You guys remember we just had Honeywell on. Uh, and CSK Auto, Verizon, Republic Services, Car Wash Partners, and the Arizona Diamondbacks. And he's also board of director for, he's also a board director for Quick Inc., which is a venture funded hospitality staffing marketplace. So automatically I'm thinking I get to, you know, nerd out with him on that. Uh, and then he earned a Bachelor of Science degree in business administration with a concentration in accounting from California Polytech State University, San Luis Obispo. And he also attended Universidad Complutense de Madrid from University of Madrid in Madrid, Spain. Uh, Chris? Hopefully I did you some justice on the, the intro, man. Welcome. I love it. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I love the, the the vibe and the theme of the show because it's so true, man. There is no, every single entrepreneurial thing I've done has been a journey. And, you know, the uh, some of the big wins are always exciting. But from my chair, it's like, oh, man how do we get here? What, right. what just happened? You know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. So great, uh, great theme for the show. I think that you're telling the truth about what it means to do what we do. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, I'm grateful that I get to have people on who get to, you know, feel the space to be like, okay, here's how it really is, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, to a degree, wherever they feel comfortable with, I should always say, but, um, right. the first question is always the same, um, because it gives, just gives the audience context. Like, how did we get here? Because you've got this incredible background and, you know, and you could talk a little bit more about like what Caliber is, but like leading up to Caliber and into Caliber, like what, what's the journey in, in your, you know, words? Yeah. So in my words, um, I have a vast amount of, of respect for the, you know, for the entrepreneur who's maybe in their mid fifties and they've got three kids at home and they're going for broke and they're putting it all on the line because I now have a, a two and a half year old daughter and I'm like, I don't think I would have done what I did 12 years ago <laughs> now, knowing how much risk I take on now. But, you know, back, back then I was just out of college. I was working for PwC and I had a great, you know, corporate career. And I was like, I'm going to take over the corporate world. I'm going to go be an early promote there. I'm going to go, you know, become a partner. I'm going to go become a corporate CEO and go run the world. That's what I wanted to do with my life. And I'll be the first to admit it. I was not born as an entrepreneur. You know, I, I certainly ran my own lemonade stands and stuff like that, but I, I wasn't out there at 12 years old designing the next, you know, whatever sales funnel online. So, right. you know, when I, when I stepped out of that into the world of entrepreneurship, the thing that allowed me to do that is the, my, you know, my friends and my family, I knew that no matter what, even if I went broke, they would take me in and they would feed me <laughs> right. and everything else. And so the way I kind of looked at it was, look, I'm making four or 5,000 bucks a month at PwC working as an associate. And, um, you know, I can replace that. And that's what I did. And so I, I walked away and, and then that journey from there till today, 12 years down the road, you know, we started a, a real estate investment business in late 2008 
as you all remember, that was the 2008 <laughs> financial crisis. We were all worried about our jobs and what we were doing with our lives and everything else. And the one thing that we figured out was, wow, you can buy some really cheap real estate. And so we started buying and bidding at the trustee sale auctions, the, basically at the courthouse steps, buying foreclosure properties. Um, you know, myself and my co-founders, none of us had any mom and dad money. None of us had any startup capital. And None of us knew how to raise money. And so we said, well, that, you know, this sounds like a great business to get into. So we started meeting people at coffee shops and randomly kind of throughout the, the world. And eventually in the, in the first year in 2009, we raised about 18 million in private mm -hmm. capital from literally from people that we randomly met and flipped about 150 homes. And that was the start of what Caliber became. And right at the end of that first year, we realized, you know, we were pretty good at buying real estate and, and renovating it and turning around and generating a profit and all that kind of stuff. But what we were really good at was helping individual investors. And these are all typically high net worth investors who have a million dollar net worth or more, um, you know, helping them invest in a way that they had never had access to before. That was so far outside the world of stocks, bonds, and, you know, insurance products and they valued us. They valued us so much because it was it was different. It was special. They understood it. It wasn't um, it wasn't you know some complex derivative they couldn't explain. Right. They saw the results right away. And even though we were a bunch of young you know twenty year olds, they valued us above many many other relationships in their life. And so what we came to realize was the most important thing we could do was build a company that was designed to generate these types of opportunities over and over and over again for this class of investor who was typically boxed out from these types of deals. And so 12 years down the road, we have a, a, a real estate investment management platform where people invest in commercial real estate with us. They invest in residential real estate, hotels, new developments, existing opportunity zone funds. You know, the company's going through a public offering. It's incredible. Wow. And, and, uh, it's been interesting watching what's happening with opportunity zones. Yeah. Right. I'm sure that you guys are getting really busy with it. Do you want to explain? We, we talked about it once or twice on, on the show before, but I like to remind people. So if you want to explain and then what, what's going on with that? Yeah. So let's start with the heart of the program. Why right. was this thing started? It was started out of a think tank that was funded by Sean Parker. Mm -hmm. And it was started because they wanted to figure out how do we get people to start harvesting their capital gains, meaning actually like selling something that they don't have to sell, like a piece of real estate they've owned for 20 years or a business that they don't necessarily have to sell, take the tax hit, but defer it, and then use that gain to invest in our own communities back into places like Phoenix, Arizona, or Tucson, Arizona, or St. Louis, or Denver, or San Antonio, instead of taking that money, sending it to New York and sending it into some sort of complex hedge fund across the world, right? right? And so um, that was what the program was designed to do. How do we get Americans to invest in our own backyard and help our own communities? Because it's really hard to get capital to start a business in places like Tucson versus in places like the Silicon Valley, right? And so long story short, they started this program. It was highly successful. It was passed a couple years ago. It's raised over $7 billion in capital. We've raised about 70 million of that, a little less than that at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And um, we're investing in, in real estate developments that are funding not only the real estate side, but also a lot of the small businesses that are going into those developments in these opportunity zones across the country. And so places like downtown Mesa, we right. bought most of downtown Mesa. We're renovating that 
whole area, we're turning it around and we're making it into the next cool downtown little campus that next to the ASU campus that's going into downtown Mesa. So I think that the Opportunity Zone program, at least at the, at the core, was designed to have a, more investment capital coming into our own communities. And it's really been one of the most fun things we've had to work on because of that community development aspect of the program. And it's in a lot of these, the communities that like needed a lot of investment, oh, yeah. a lot of renovation. And it was, it was cool. I mean, and you, you know, you hear it from everyone from, um, you know, musicians in Hollywood to other yeah. people who are like, oh, wow, like we get to go back to where we came from and go into certain, you know, areas yeah. that like really need that help, like a reinvestment, you know, from where I came from and, um, you know, having all this uh, where it can help also, you know, um, not only renovate, but provide even more jobs and then like kind of like lift up the community. Yeah. And then it's also got that like with the 10 year, wait, what, what is it with at the end of 10 years you can yeah, so basically in exchange for taking the risk to right. do this, right? Uh, if you if you invest for at least 10 years, then when you sell, if you've got a gain in value on your investment, you don't have to pay taxes. And yeah. So that's the big incentive. So if I put money into a community like, you know, downtown Phoenix or somewhere else, and that investment doubles in value over 10 years, I pay no tax. And so that's the incentive. That's the part that obviously is getting investors excited. And on the flip side, it's it's a program that pulls together people like one of my favorite people in the world uh, is a gentleman named Scott Walker. He's the White House director for economic development, specifically focused on opportunity zones. He's an African-American gentleman, preacher, football player like he is the biggest proponent of this program across the country. And every time I talk to him, it gets me so energized because he's right. This program has the ability to make a multi-generational effect mm. on communities that need capital, that need small business funding, that need development of their communities. And it's bringing people together that don't typically talk to each other. You know, yeah, as a real estate developer, do I typically talk to city council? Sure. But do I talk to members of the community very often? Not really. Do I talk to nonprofits very often? Not really. And this program has brought together local government, state government, federal government, nonprofits, for-profits, you name it. It's been really cool. Uh, I spent a lot of time working on this, and it's been one of my main focuses as a business. Oh, that's, it's, it's cool. I mean, it, it is exciting to hear, and uh, just watching its progression over the last you know, year, year and a half has been, been quite phenomenal in general. Um, so you, so I want to actually, this is something I wanted to ask when you were telling the story. Um, when you guys were in your twenties and you were doing this fund and they're like, Oh wow, this is, this is different. We really appreciate you. Um, sometimes older generations don't always feel comfortable. <laughs> so I'm being, you know, by being a little politically correct, but yeah. like, but I mean, you know, it, it look, they, they're, you know, we're young, we're responsible. We're all these different things, you know, I get it, you know, but hopefully that, you know, that's changing with, a you know, the evolving of a emotional intelligence and whatnot. But like how what what happened that they were like, hey, we like what you guys are doing. Was it just that you were very straightforward and you were just like, hey, here's what we who here's who we are. Here's what we uh, what we have. And this is what our plan is. Yeah. So I'll give you two answers to that question. OK. <laughs> All right. So the the funny there's a funny answer and then there's a serious. answer. Of course. So what you what, what do you want first? The funny answer, the serious answer. Let's start with the funny. All right. So um I, uh, I grew up, my dad had a, a two-seater roadster and I was a, kind of in lust with this car, right? Yeah. You know, convertible, whatever. And yeah. so uh, I get my job at PWC. I'm making a little bit of money. I bought a house 
five bedroom house in Tempe, put four bedrooms full of roommates, so I had no house payment. Right. And of course, because of that, right. what do I do? I go buy a sixty five thousand dollar two seater BMW M four Roadster, <laughs> you know, which was like the world's <laughs> dumbest financial decision ever. Thank you for owning that. You know, <laughs> twenty two, <laughs> twenty three years old, right? But you know, hey. I, I still, to this day, maybe it's just because I want to justify the purchase, but give it credit for, hey, at 23 years old, I'm rolling up in this, you know, you know, convertible brand new BMW at, that, you know, happened to be nicer than the one my boss just bought. And people are like, what is going on with this guy? You know, yeah. what what's going on with this? It was a, sort of, a, it was always like a head turner. It was always like, right. a, what is going on? Which is super funny because today I drive a Jeep. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in personal debt. You know, I, know. I don't, you know, I don't I even know. care. You know, yeah. like I have a totally different outlook on right. life. But back then it was a bit of a shtick, but it was something mm. to maybe make, uh, make an impression on that generation that maybe it was or wasn't necessary. Now, as I've gotten to know my clients, they probably could have cared less at the end right. of the day because I just didn't understand people at that level. But who knows? You just don't know how these things you do really did or didn't help you. Right. So that that's the funny one. So um, on the on the reality on the on raising capital as a twenty something year old was, we were just unbelievably transparent with people. Mm, to, there it is. You know, and it was just we we had a contract with our investors, but it was so loose that they could have walked from us any at any time and it would have cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars and shut down the business if they decided to just not perform on their side of the deal. But we would buy properties, they would the properties would go in their client's name, they would pay the bills. We didn't even handle any money. They would here's the bill, you gotta pay it. They would take care of it. And it was at a time when so many real estate companies had basically been scams that um, the idea of saying to an investor, give me your money and I'm gonna give you a return was just not even something we would we would touch. And so by being radically transparent, by letting them see exactly what we paid for a property, by letting them pay for all the bills of the renovation and by letting us them pay us mm -hmm. at the end with no real obligation to pay us, we built trust. Yeah, And then we built off that trust. And so because of that, we didn't make very much money, if any money at all, for the first couple of years of our business because we ate the mistakes. Mm. We didn't make the investors eat the mistakes, we did. And I, I can tell you that we had multi-million dollar client relationships where the investors made millions and we made nothing mm. Mm. because the relationship was more important to me and the reputation was more important to me than the money. And so that was my approach. Many other people in my industry went an entirely different way um, and, you know, Everybody's got their own way to go, right? Uh, I, I love <laughs> I love this, and I'll tell you why. First of all, radical transparency, also accountability and honesty. And I find it interesting that so many people are so scared to be honest. Like, there's nothing wrong with being, like, just put it all on the line. Be from the heart. Just say exactly what it is. You'll actually attract what you're looking for much faster, and you'll get rid of much faster what you don't want around you at all absolutely and i think it's just it, it, it's it's weird that it's underutilized you know and undervalued but it's everything and then the second thing where i got the chills at the end of what you said is other people went the other way and that long game mentality of no this is how we operate this is how we're going to do it and maybe in the beginning it seems like it has a slow ramp up and maybe it's a little misunderstood and maybe it's not like those kind of gains over there but you will all see the vision eight, 
10, 12, 15, 20 years from now, you'll see it. I think that really depends on who you are because yeah. I am a long-termism yes. kind of guy. That's yes. just who I am as an individual. <laughs> I sit in awe at some of these entrepreneurs who spin up a new business every other year right. and they're financially successful too and they accomplish what they want to accomplish too. There is no right path. There's just the right path for you and yeah. knowing who you are and where you fit in the world. It's like, hey, I get interested in something. I'm going to spin it up. I'm going to make some money. I'm going to move on. Fine. Be that way and own it. And and if you're like me, I just I, I just like to build and then build yeah. again and then build on top of that. I don't yes. want to go back and rebuild the, at the starting point what I've already built. I'd rather build a platform for me and to benefit many other people. Thank you. My audience thanks you, by the way. <laughs> I, already, I already know my audience, especially because I preach this. I, I think when you build a platform for yourself, infrastructure, sound infrastructure, you know, foundational elements to build upon and, and interweave the different components and like you can tack things on when it becomes time to do so. Totally. Like, oh, I think we'll add this wing because we actually have something that's vertical integration, which is that hit me very hard when I was, I was reading your bio. Um, because I'll, that's not a concept that a lot of people really, you know, feel um, compelled to like implement into their into their growth and into their whole, you know, and everything. So, you know what I mean? So I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. So I'll tell you about vertical integration. Um, here's how, here's what not to do. <laughs> if this helps you, um, you know, one of the things you definitely should not do is uh, do. I guess maybe you should. Maybe you shouldn't. It depends on on how you. Uh, how, how you view my story and how I would view my story. And so we tried to build like six or seven different operating businesses from scratch with no startup capital and without a lot of expertise in some of them, right? Yeah. You know, we built a, a an auction business. We built a remodeling company, remodeling real estate. We built a brokerage business. We built an investment business. And you try to add all those things up and then, you know, kind of property management, you name it. And what we've figured out since then is that, um, man, it would have been interesting to look at our story if we had built like the investment business as a core mm, and then built yes. on top of that and then built on top of that. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of these little side businesses that, yeah, you can make some revenue here, you can make some revenue over there. They were such a distraction. And so um, <laughs> I'm a big believer in vertical integration, but if I had to do it all over again, I probably would have made a, a much more intelligent, thought-out strategy versus right. let's just do everything because we're awesome. <laughs> right. No. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. and since then, you know, we've we've refined our model down to we're still a highly vertically integrated business, but the things that we're really really good at, we do. Yeah. The things that other people are really really good at, we hire and we get really good at managing them. Yeah. No. It, 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 <laughs> very well put because obviously when we when we focus on one very core infrastructure and only that we can get it to you know a place where it feeds others and and whatnot but ironically along the way there's needs that come up i've noticed and it's like if i don't do that thing it'll mess up these other things and you'll get it from somewhere else and that's what well at least that's what i've noticed what's happened to me like i never thought i'd have a growth marketing agency but right. for what i was doing in some other things i'm like stop that so i had to turn a consultancy into something that then you know has a team of 20 like handling things and and it like and then put a system around it because otherwise the somebody else doing it slows me down for what i'm doing with a particular person totally in on a deal yeah. or on anything and so <laughs> so sometimes i look like how did i get here yeah. Like, how do we have this and this and this? So I, I get it. It's a balance. But on the on the other side of that, um, 
uh, you mentioned quick in, in my bio yeah. and, and about three years ago, actually probably about four years ago, I was having a, a, a beer with, um, you know, my future brother-in-law who's now my brother-in-law. And uh, I was saying to him, you know, I get, I get, a, as an entrepreneurial guy now, I kind of get ideas every other day, but, um, very few of them ever stick to my bones. And one of them, I couldn't, I had this idea and for years and years, I just could not get it to go away. And it was a problem in our hotels that in our food and beverage staffing, you know, it was very hard to find people when you found a good one to get hired away. Um, you know, it was always kind of a, a ch constant churn and cycle. And I was like, man, you know, we need a better way to do this. And so I had this idea. I shared it with him. He happened to have a 30-year a background in building human resources related technologies. I didn't actually know that about him because right. we were still getting to know each other at right. the time. And, uh, and like then, you know. <laughs> he's, you know, a year later he calls me and goes, Hey, I think I'm going to uh, take a severance from my company and go build that business that you talked about. Are you okay with that? I was like, sure. Yeah. But because of the experience I built up in the investment business and in the hotel business over the last 12 years or so, or that year, about 10, 10 years or so, um, he was able to leverage that. And I was able to, instead of being the entrepreneur who rolls up my sleeves and does everything, which is what I'm used to, I was right. actually able to be an advisor. Mm -hmm. I was able to give back, give back my network, give back my capital yes. raising ability, give back my knowledge on the hospitality industry. And, you know, maybe that was only 1% of what it took to build that business, which it probably was less than 1%, but it was an important 1%. And that important 1% now has built a company that's many years old at this point in time, funded by some of the best venture backers in the country. Mm. And it's, it's, it's on a growth path that's very exciting. And so, you know, having a platform. Uh, having a platform, exactly. And um, where it can assert itself mm -hmm. and where it can mentor and where it can, you know, acquire, right? <laughs> where it can distribute, you know? And I think that that's... Uh, that's that's why I think forever I'll be a fan of vertical integration. But you're absolutely correct. I mean, I, I see some people who've just, oof, you know, they 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 did something very specific only and then added on. But you know, look, everybody, like you said, everybody's journey is different. And, yeah. and I like that you said that um, every deal is different. Every deal has a story. Tell me about that, like because it's true. I I get you, but I, I'd love for you to express yourself on that. Yeah. So kind of in my own words, um, I think it, like. So we're in the real estate business, right? right? And so, you know, we invest in hotels and apartments and office buildings and all kinds of developments. And so you could say, oh, they bought those five apartments, you know, and they all look very similar that, you know, they must be following a process. They must have this process nailed. And the reality is when you're doing individual real estate deals, every deal has about a thousand things you have to know <laughs> and do. And every single deal those thousand things are different than the last deal. Yeah. <laughs> Same themes, but different, different stories. So, you know, in one case, a deal that we bought, um, we, you know, we acquired a second position mortgage. We foreclosed on the second. We then took ownership of the property subject to the first, which is a really kind of complicated process. Then we took over management. Then we renovated the property. We sold it. We made a bunch of money for our client, right? Um, another, you know, project we, we found because, um, you know, the, the, uh, the owner was fighting with his daughter and they were 50, 50 owners and they hadn't talked to each other for three years and they had hired somebody to run it. But that guy was running an eBay business out of his office, selling stuff, you know, trinkets <laughs> on eBay. You just, you never know. And every single deal, uh, it's like, tell me the story. Tell me how we got right. here. Tell me how, 
because that is the exactly. by my opinion that's the most important thing for you to know Context. if you're going to then go get involved right if you're going to get involved in a business it's like how do we get here right and where and how does how do we go from where we're at today to making this thing successful and if the story is compelling and exciting it both becomes the strategy to how to to be successful as well as the way you get other people to rally around you whether that's people to join you as partners or as team members or whether that means raising capital you're like a uh, a mediator of sorts yeah. you know i i i've it, it's it, you're right it is interesting when you're like all right explain to me don't hold back just tell me everything so i have the context of what i'm dealing with here i don't need the surprises because nothing surprises me anymore just tell me what i have in front of me <laughs> so i know how to fix it but make everybody happy make everybody get the win 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 and totally and you need the context for that and and the space it sounds like you make that space very open for the people to be like hey chris here's how here, here's what happened yeah <laughs> here's, it's, here's it, how it went down it's funny you look at these real estate <laughs> so like if you get a broker who brings you a deal he'll bring you a 60 page packet and here, here's the merits of the location and the businesses nearby and all this other stuff and it's like you know you just swipe that stuff aside and say why is this guy selling and what is the value to me and where do I get to take this? And when you dig into the story, that's when that's what really matters. Yeah. And it's the same way in whether it's a real estate deal or a business deal or whatever, you know, everything kind of boils down to do you know the story and is it believable? And can you trust what you're being told? And then what can you do about it? <laughs> right. Yeah, that key. Can you be can you trust what you're being told? And and I find that um when we're actively listening and we're very present mm -hmm. and we make it about them. And we ask a lot of questions uh, and we make it, you know, the space clean for them to clear it for them to really say what they need to. If we're thinking too much ahead of, you know, I tell the people this all the time and something that I've learned, if you're thinking too much ahead about the situation in front of you or your mind is somewhere else in any way, shape or form, you know, forget it. Yeah. You know, you're going to miss you're going to miss a step. Versus like being very present with that person, like give it all to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we bought a uh, apartment complex in Scottsdale during the kind of 2008 financial crisis timing, and it was personally guaranteed and owned by six doctors. We bought it for two hundred fifty thousand or so. Ended up it ended up selling for six fifty. It was a great deal, a little 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 tiny deal. And those doctors could have easily written a check to maintain the mortgage and, and keep this property. And had they done that, they would have recovered all their value. Hmm. But just to your point, understanding who's across the table from you and what is their story, the story they're telling themselves in their head is, we're in a recession, it's a financial crisis, I'm too busy for this, and I just need to make this, make this pain, make this stress go away. So we actually got them to pay us $50,000 to release them from the mortgage on the property and give us the property back. They paid us money to give us their property back. Mm. And it was all about what they were going through. Six doctors, all probably fairly successful. None of them wanted to go through a foreclosure or a bankruptcy or anything like that. They just said, you know what, this is just too hard and here you go. And so it's all about understanding who's on the other side of the table from you and what is their situation and what matters to them and how can you solve their problems. And their problem wasn't the financial loss. Their problem was the pain and, and the stress and the suffering of thinking about the financial loss. Interesting, right? You got it. That mindset, you got to get that. And that, and that also, that can really affect a deal. So like mm -hmm. knowing, paying attention to somebody presently and really knowing and understanding where they at mentally, spiritually, emotionally, all these different things help you kind of dictate like, listen, I can help you, but I need to know if A, 
are you going to allow me to help you? <laughs> is the emotional intelligence there? And it, it, you can freak out. I just need you to do it to me and not stall anything. So, you, and that you're freaking out to me as your counselor, so I can also get you out of your way. Yep. But if if I have an issue with the ego, you're gonna have to let me know now because I won't be able to help you. Help me is like Jerry Maguire. Help me help you. Like help it's me very help you. <laughs> you know. So it's it's you're right. It's a jazz. So there's no no two deals are ever going to be the same whatsoever. Um, and I'm sure you've built some incredible relationships along the way, right? I mean, that's what all this has been about. And 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 with that, the trust and probably has gotten you even into things that you never even would have thought you'd be involved in. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, I'm an accountant by trade, right? right. So <laughs> I'm used to looking at balance sheets. Well, you know, the biggest asset on our balance sheet is the relationships we have with our customers, mm -hmm. and that doesn't show up anywhere, right? right? But it's those relationships that, um, you know, going through coronavirus and going through what's going on here, there's a lot of fear. Well, we got on the phone with every customer. We talked to them over the last, you know, month, two months, et cetera, and sure enough, they're behind us. And they're like, okay, how can we buy the dip? How can we buy distressed? How can we, you know, move forward? Because they know at the end of the day, we're out there working on their behalf right. and we're telling them the truth and we're working as hard as we possibly can. And if, if, if there's a way to make sure that an asset is taken care of, we're doing it for them. And that's, mm -hmm. a, that's, a, that's a big deal. That, that, that relationship with our clients, all these people are all high net worth, successful business owners, entrepreneurs, doctors, lawyers, you name it, all of them have great networks, all of them have great relationships, and that is the most powerful thing I can bring to the table. Well, I mean, how you're behaving, whether in business or in, in, in life, I mean, so when a crisis does happen, what a great feeling to know, oh, I've got good people, like I was prepared, not prepared for the unknown in a way, because we never know what the unknown is gonna bring, but there's a sense of relief that comes from knowing that you've got good people around you, a good institution around you, or a good business, you know, backing you, or good, you know, managers behind you, and that goes a long way when it comes to crises. Yeah, and and for the the customer on the other side, I mean, we got feedback from many clients that were like, you know, thanks for the update, really appreciate it. Sorry that you know this this isn't going to go well, or that's not going to you know move forward, or this one's going to stall out, or whatever, but. Thank God I invested with you guys because everything else sucks. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know yeah. I get that. Right, right. I get that kind of feedback. It's like, all right, this is good. At least right. you know, you know, when when times are tough for everybody, it's it, that doesn't necessarily mean that you all have to be in the same bucket. Right. Well, you were founded on transparency and honesty, so of course, when there's a crisis that hits, you're going to go right to them. Be like, here's what's going on. Here's how we're handling it. Here's what's new. Here's where we're going. You know, I mean. There's a lot of relief that comes from that. That's all. People just want the truth, yep. whether they're ready for it or not. But at least they, but they want it, you know, and and somebody that they can rely on for it. Yeah. And on the flip side, twelve years later, here we are in yet another sort of pseudo financial crisis, right? right? right. And um, Caliber, for the first time ever, is now able to be invested in by anybody. They don't have to be an accredited investor anymore. So mm. we've got a offering online at seedinvest.com. People just go to investcaliber.com and, and they can check it out. But people can now put 2000 bucks with us. That's cool. Which is super, super cool That's because cool. we're going to go from hundreds of investors to tens of thousands of investors. And it's like, you know, talk about the power of building a network. First time we did it was in a, in a recession. Mm -hmm. Second time we're doing it in a recession. Right. And the opportunities that come out of that are incredible. And I think, you know, everybody out there who's an entrepreneur who's like, oh, I've got my idea, is now the right time? Should I even be calling people asking to raise capital from them right mm -hmm. now? Yeah, man. Right. 
because some of the best companies ever are built during these times. Oh, it's, I mean, the amount of innovation that comes out of these historically and not just back in 08 and 9 and 10, but um, all the way back to the Great Depression and even in previous centuries, that's when some of the greatest innovation uh, and technologies and you know modernization has come out you yeah. know of create creation really stuff i mean you i can't imagine another scenario that would have gotten my parents to pick up instacart and order groceries online right, right. but they do it now because right. of this right? right and you know right there is behaviors that are changing every single day because of what's happened yeah. and those behavior changes mean one thing opportunity in business yep. you know if you can recognize them and think about how people are going to act or be going forward what's permanent and what's not you've got a good opportunity yeah. in front of you well that long game mentality too you mm -hmm. were you're you you were positioned to handle these kinds of changes you know it's like when i was telling you we were coming up the elevator <laughs> and i said like people for years like i don't understand this whole tech thing that you're constantly involved in now like the world like whoever was left that didn't migrate was like okay so how do we diversify online and work on our platform and automate some things and do all this? And I'm like, easy, easy. Let's start at the beginning. Yeah, it's kind of funny as younger guys in, in the business world, it's like, you know, I can't tell you how many 60 and 70 year olds have been like, do you want to do a Zoom call? Right, right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, I, I told you, yeah, but people were like, hey, have you heard this Zoom thing? I'm like, and I, and I, I thought it was cute, but at the same time, I'm like, I can't tell if you're insulting me. Like, like as if you were kind of worried about me all these years, just being like, so you didn't really know what it was I did. And you're just kind of like now just hope, you know, you're just, you know, thinking that. Yeah. Well, everyone's asking, like, we've raised about, you know, 60 plus million into our opportunity zone fund. Like I was saying right. before, we're, I think we're going to probably hit 70 soon. And people go, well, how'd you raise all that money? Because, you know, it's been really hard to raise money in opportunity zone funds. And it has. And I said, well, mostly through Google. And they're like, you can raise money through Google. Right, you right. Know, it's, like, well, it's not that simple, but yeah, you know, people found us on Google. Right. You know, and then right. we, 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 you know, we built relationships with those people and there's a lot of offline work to yeah. that too, but there's yeah. a digital side to this business now. And, you know, people in the, in the world of raising capital and investment banking have never had digital marketing yeah. as part of their world. Gotta love that SEO, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, talk, talk about that fund. That's, that's interesting because you're right. Um, you know, uh, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of, of stock markets, some stuff's there, but I, it's the long-term stuff that a uh, family got behind mm -hmm. uh, a long time ago. Outside of that, I, I do have digital currencies that I got into very, very early on. I sit and hold on. Well done. Uh, well, I, you know, there were some people that helped me with that. <laughs> if I was, so it just sits there. I, you know, it, whether it goes up or down will ne pretty much never affect me at this point, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I detach from it outside of that, you know, uh, and not re just reinvesting in my own stuff constantly, it is a, a concern of like, hey, I, where do you put this? Like, yeah. you know, and and I think it's coming up, especially as we're seeing volatility in markets and and what happens and how <laughs> you know think people handle uh, a crisis and and I, there's going to be a lot of shifts. In my opinion, we're just at the beginning of a lot of shifts, mm -hmm. and things are going to be done differently. Mm -hmm. So I so I'm genuinely genuinely curious as well too like how did you guys set this up and like what what does it entail and what do you guys do with it all that stuff. Yeah, so when someone comes to Caliber um if they're an accredited investor mm -hmm. they come in and say look okay I've got a, I got a 5 million dollar net worth and I want to take 500,000 out of the market and put it into something else, right? right? And depending on where they're at in their life if they're looking to grow their wealth we're going to be doing things like ground up developments and big turnarounds and things that are going to grow the value of their capital as quickly as possible. Right. And we get paid by making a share of the profit and some fees along the way. 
If they're looking at, oh, hey, I'm looking for more of a fixed income into retirement, we're going to get them involved in income producing property or a mm-hmm. private lending fund or different strategies. So we offer different strategies depending on where the client sits in their in their life cycle. For you, I mean, you're you know younger guy. You got oh, well, some, uh, you know, cool. I'll take I, that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you that. Um, <laughs> I think we're the same age. I might be older, but go ahead, go ahead. So you know, but you've got these. Okay, right. so you got some digital currencies, right? You probably right. have some big gains in those currencies that you haven't you know harvested. If you sell right. that, you're gonna be paying a lot of taxes. Right. Well, this opportunity zone fund thing came along. It's like manna from heaven for someone like right. you because you can sell it. You put the gain piece into an opportunity zone fund. Now you can own income-producing real estate for the next 10 years, pay a reduced tax bill seven years from now when you do have to pay your taxes, and then 10 years from now or three years from that or 10 years from now, when you sell your investment, you pay no tax on the gain. So you Mm -hmm. get to own real estate, produce income, pay no tax on the gain in the future. It's an unbelievable program. And what do we do with your money? We develop, uh, you know, uh, affordable housing. We develop um, energy efficient housing. We build, um, we're rebuilding a, an entire downtown Main Street area that was basically dilapidated for many years. We're, we're building a behavioral health hospital in, in Phoenix mm. to help the issue of behavioral health, which is a huge thing right now. And Very. so that's what your money is going to go do. I like that. I like the, that money can also go into that. Yeah. You know, you know it's nice like- to know where it's actually going too. And, and that's, uh, yes, transparency, right. right back there again, seed invest, right? Seedinvest.com. I'm mm-hmm. looking at that. Uh, yeah, very, very cool. Wow. So, you guys have already raised. Yeah. So what that is, is it's kind of like the last pre IPO round. So normally when people invest with us, they invest in a private fund and mm-hmm. we buy real estate. So they're kind of just invest in the real estate. But every time we do one of those deals, Caliber earns a piece of the profit. We earn fee income, and then we earn income from the services we provide for construction, mm. renovation, property, asset management, you know, real estate brokerage, et cetera. And all that income rolls up into one business. Mm. That's the business that's issuing this public offering. It's a public stock offering of common stock. And to, to most people probably don't know what a Reg A plus capital raise is, but basically it says, okay, if you've ever bought pre-IPO into a company, you're typically going to buy a private stock. And to give you a metaphor, it's like, okay, I'm receiving the football on the 20-yard line. I got to go run down the field and try to score a touchdown, right? Which the touchdown would be a public listing in, an, in a true IPO. So I bought private stock in a company, and I'm hoping the IPO down, down the road at some point in time. In a Reg A plus public offering, the company has already – run down the football field. We're now at the 10 yard line in the red zone and we're trying to score a touchdown. We've already spent years transforming our accounting and f- finance department. We've already gone through multiple years of PCAOB audits. We've already put in a filing with the SEC that is functionally very similar to the same filing you do for a traditional IPO. The SEC has already reviewed that over a nine month period of time, commented and approved the filing. And so the company is way further down the field than a typical uh, pre-IPO investment and has already kind of proven that they have the infrastructure to be a successful public company. So you get to buy a stock at that level. And then after that, the next step is either the company completes a second filing called an S1, which allows them to list on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange and typically is going to be an, a typical underwritten IPO that you would see on on you know TV or whatever. Or... Maybe they acquire a listed company and they they merge into the listed company, you know, just like DraftKings just did. Maybe mm-hmm. they get acquired by a SPAC. 
There's a lot of different ways you can go in this kind of world of high finance, but the end result is as an investor, if you buy in at that level, you know that you're buying into a company that's been through a tremendous amount of vetting and a tremendous amount of work. And I think that this Reg A plus, they call it a mini IPO, could be the, the next funding mechanism for some of the great ideas that come out of our country. Mm. It's still fairly rarely used, fairly not well understood, but what it essentially allows people to do is not have to be Mark Cuban or you know Bill Gates or somebody like that to invest in the early stage of growing companies. Did you all get that? <laughs> I love it. I, I at least from what I from what I understood of all that, allowing more opportunities for people to be smarter with their money and invest. They don't have to be Bill Gates to invest because right. that that has been the narrative for a very long time. Like oh. When I get here, and in the meantime, you know, I'll put it in some of these things that I've been quote unquote told to do, right. which usually are either slow, no growth, or don't really work for them. Right. <laughs> well, how, how does the stock market work? At the end of the day, it's trying to get the most efficient price for the stock of the company and then betting on the future of that company. Right. Prior to a public listing, the pricing is a lot less efficient, meaning the investor can get a better deal. Right. Because there's not, you know, this efficient market to buy and sell the stock. And so, you know, just like anything else in the world, if you can find a deal privately that very few people know about mm. and you invest at that stage, you typically do better. Yeah. Oh, and you're making the barriers to entry much lower. Right. And, and you know, it's we're just levering off of what's changed in our country, which is a, a ongoing and current movement and hopefully that will movement will, that will grow that allows more access for more people to invest because building wealth in America is a force for good. If you build the wealth of a good person, they do more good in the world. And generationally. And, and, and that's exactly it. And so a lot of the problems we're seeing in society today certainly can be explained by some of the, the tensions and racial issues that we're all worried about. And they can exp be explained by the fact that there's not a lot of economic opportunity for a lot of people. And if you can grow that economic opportunity, if you can build wealth for people, that wealth can solve a lot of problems. Yeah, you know, um, I have to ask this, like, uh, because there's these types of conversations are happening a little bit more now because of digital. Mm -hmm. You're seeing a couple of podcasts that are, you know, that are talking about these things. Um, you're seeing, you know, social media. Is this something you guys? I mean, are, are you guys um, interested in doing more of, like, in constantly educating the market? Because I know you're, I know you're also really into digital marketing. You've got a, you know, powerhouse, you know, in that department. So are these things that you guys constantly believe in and do, because that, like the lowering the barriers for people to to feel um like hey to, to raise their hand and say i don't know they're not teaching this in school can you please help me yeah i think right? that i think that education is key i mean that is the the core of all of our you know quote unquote marketing is just right. teaching people what we know that's cool and i always assume that everybody i'm talking to including some of the most sophisticated people in the world of finance have no idea what it is i, I have to offer and no idea what it is i have to say I, I've learned something very, very recently as we've been preparing to go for a public offering, and uh, we call it the cocktail party test. And that is, I need to be able to tell somebody in 90 seconds or less, typically less, probably 30 to 60 seconds, exactly what I do and why it's interesting to them, period. And if I can't go to a group of random people who've never yes. heard of me before and say that, and then come back to them and say, hey, 10 minutes ago, you just talked to that guy. What does it he do and why is it interesting? Yeah. And they can't answer that question. I failed as an entrepreneur. And mm -hmm. this is coming from the most 
you know, high-minded people right. in the world of public finance. And so for those of us that are still just starting out and saying, you know, oh, I'm going to build this and then it's going to go like that and it's going to go this direction and it's going to be amazing. We love the vision. But tell me, what is it you do? Right. And why should I be interested in it? Right. That, uh, you know, 30 second pitch, if you will. Right. You know, and, totally. and it's true because, you know, you get a, you get people all the time. You're like, what is it you do? You know, <laughs> and you're right. The, the goal is always, as they say, explain it to a fourth grader. Well, and, and it's yeah. because as if, if you're talking to a fourth grader, you know, if you have Mark Cuban in front of you and he's looking at funding 10 more companies this month. Right. You know, he doesn't have time to listen to you talk to him for an hour. Right. He has time to listen to you talk to him for like two minutes. Right. And that's that's a stretch. Yeah. And so if you can't get it out in two minutes, he he may miss a great opportunity and you may have the best opportunity in the world. But you didn't you didn't get it funded. It's yeah. not by him. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the because I, I, I get it like time as we get older and further along and we do more things intentionally time is a you know it's the greatest asset it's also a diminishing one and what we do with it and so it's like i'll hear people kind of give their grandiose thing and i finally have become my father god rest his soul but he, where i'm like my, my father used to always say like son get to the point yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just be like son get to the point what do you want what are you looking for what what's 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 the question <laughs> right i i got that i learned that from you know i got married uh my beautiful wife you know about um uh, let's see we got married in 2015 it's 2020 so five years ago yeah. we just celebrated our five-year anniversary and then and it started to kind of pull at me you know a little bit of like why am i still at the office at eight o'clock at night i don't mm. have to do this forever you know and then we had our daughter and it was like almost an instantaneous, mm. like, what am I doing here past 4.30, you know? Right, right. It doesn't mean I don't work hard. I get right. in early, I work my butt off, everything. But time, man, yeah. is so, so, so valuable. And the more you value your time, the more others will value your time. Yeah, the, the approach has to change and it did. And you're right. Um, and it's an interesting thing to train the world around you mm -hmm. by how you treat yourself and your time. And then suddenly I have noticed how people will act and like, listen, I know you're busy. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and they're like, you know, can we take you out for lunch? Can we do this? I was like, I tell you what, why don't you go ahead? And I've had this with several people. Like, why don't you go ahead and just, just voice text me? What is it that you need? And maybe I can just give you an answer real quick. Right. You know, and then, and then if they don't, they, they don't, then that's all that. But if they do, I'm happy to like, see if I can like, oh, you know what? You should call this attorney. Like he helps with like licensing or he helps with that or whatever. Yeah. One of my favorite books out there is a book on givers and takers. And you mm -hmm. know, the, uh, is a youngest tenure professor at Wharton basically wrote this book and did a, a, a deep study on who's more successful givers, takers, or matchers. He called them matchers. You mm -hmm. know, you do for me, I do for you. Right. So what do you think? Are you asking me? Yeah. Well, my gut was leaning towards givers. Okay. Um, but it, <laughs> I have learned, I, th this is a tough, I'll tell you why this is, uh, obviously I'm going to give you now the long answer so that we're, you're not an investor, but I'll tell you why. Um, I've learned that there, uh, I, I guess it would have to be matchers in a way because the, what I have learned is that there's a law between giving and receiving. And um, if we overgive, we become drained and um, we are, we're useless as a resource. Um, we're drained. Yeah. And, um, but if, um, you know, we don't allow for receiving, then we're kind of like stuck in this kind of like motion where it's like, no, like I give. Mm -hmm. And when opportunities come in, receive them, be open to receiving. Like, no, no, I don't need it. I don't need that. Like, no, I do need that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. 
and then the loop kind of continues and you can grow momentum out of that. Yeah, we all have a right to have needs, basically. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's okay to, yeah. to express those needs, right? right? Exactly. And I, re I realized from being an overgiver much younger to like, oh, no, thank you. I will take that. I appreciate that. So this, so this gentleman's research pro proved one thing. Um, the biggest losers, the givers. Yeah, yeah. The biggest winners, the givers. Mm. So it was a U-curve. And mm. so on one side of the curve, so... Slightly, slightly behind the givers are the takers. Right. The matchers are the have the kind of the middle of the curve, sort of the the most balanced, not good results, but not not bad results. They're just sort of stuck in the middle, mm -hmm. you know. And that's probably if you're if you're a matcher and you're always expecting, mm. what do I get from this? What are you giving mm. for me for that? And you're always kind of keeping count. You're always going to be stuck in the middle, right? Yeah. The takers, you know. Takers take. Takers take, and yeah. they outperform the matchers because they're always focused on their own needs. Right. 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 And the givers are both the biggest winners and the biggest losers. And Until they learn. So yeah, this gentleman basically went through uh, the research and said, well, why is that? What is that? And what he boiled it down to is uh, a concept that, um, that surrounds the givers that win have created systems to protect their time yep. and to, to make sure that they don't shut down their giving nature but they do it in a way that actually works for them. So like, for instance, he gives an example of a very successful CEO that calls him five minute favors. He says, I will take any meeting with anybody who asks to meet with me and I will do whatever I can for them in five minutes or less. I like that. Um, and that's his rule, right? Yeah. So he's a giver. He gives his time mm -hmm. to anybody who asks, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's always a, well, you should talk to this person or this person has the expertise or here, I can help you solve your problem right here in five minutes or mm -hmm. whatever he can do. Another friend of mine in town um, has a, a concept he calls blooming flowers, where 10% of his schedule for the rest of time, his EA knows can be used to take any meeting for any reason, even though he has no expectation of any outcome out of it. Mm. But he's, he, he limits it to 10% of his time. So if you ask him for that meeting, it might be months from now or years from now, but you're going to get it. I, lo I love that. You know, it, what you said really resonated with me. Um, so my growth marketing agency is called Systems Over Hustle. Why? Because the giver hustle side of me from years ago stopped working. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, but I love solving problems and helping people. So once I started managing, I started first documenting my time seven days a week and actually looked at it from 5 a.m. till 9 at night. Mm -hmm. What was I doing with the time and how? I started auditing myself. Then I started saying, where are like, where's my highest peak productivity? Where's my most revenue generating activities? Where should my admin activities happen? Like all these different things. And once I, and then scheduling everything, then having systems to automate certain things so I can optimize how I perform, That's ultimately awesome. made me think about time. Well, I was already thinking about time differently, but then I was like, oh shit, I'm wasting a lot of time and I'm doing way too many manual things. How do I optimize my impact in the world and, and what I'm trying to do without um, overwhelming me because if my cup is empty, I'm done. Right. And that's where it became this con. So I started seeking out the whole, how do I systemize everything in my life, but keep the personalization of my core there. So people go, Oh, I guess Matt, you know, I can feel him. He's not, it's not just like some automated response. Yeah. You can, you, you know? can put a system behind giving just like you put a system everything. behind everything. Right? Yeah. And it makes sense. And it was such a game changer. so much that I was, I, the, the person who I, I hired to do all this stuff for me, uh, I was like, can we do this for other people? <laughs> and that became part of the mission. You know, I was like, hey, I'm like, I got all these businesses that always ask for all this help. And, you yeah. know, that capacity, I'm like, I want to actually systemize 
everything that we do. We don't do anything for anybody else that we don't do for ourselves. And everything's about reducing the overwhelm in their already busy lives and being able to manage everything they love to do at scale without, you know, uh, while maximizing efficiency, maximizing productivity, you know, minimizing waste, yeah. minimizing cost, uh, you know, inefficiencies, right? All these things that I, became I, my mission. <laughs> I aspire to get to your level, man. That is amazing. That's, that's digitally. <laughs> and I'm still working on it. I, I'm a forever student. I'll, love, I'll always say I'm a forever student. But uh, and we can nerd about that after her. But no, so I, I, I love what you said. I think it's so unbelievably true is that um, we have to put systems in place for our time. And it it had become a game changer. Mm -hmm. Value does go up. Profitability does go up. So again, what I can preach to others is because it was a direct result of what I noticed as well. Totally. You're absolutely right. And and it's uh, it changes everything. And you're going to change a lot of lives by doing what you do. Yeah. Because as you do yeah. that, you build um, you build more time for them mm -hmm. to maybe be a better father, better maybe be mm -hmm. a better mother, maybe yeah. give back to their community. Yes. Maybe they get extra time so they can start that nonprofit they've been dreaming of. Yeah. So you give them time and money. When yeah. you give people time and money, if they're a good person, they do a lot more good with it. That's, you know, I, thank you. Uh, I say time, energy, and money. Mm -hmm. I, I throw an energy in there because yeah. if we're depleted, forget it. Like yeah. we're bitch to be around. <laughs> Sorry, not to, not to go on that route. But, you know, people in general, I mean, like, you know, we energy is is what's, you know, our time. I learned that time and energy, right. um, our relationship with as such, um, will be also how it impacts our money. Um, so time, energy, and money is like everything. And, and money can't really be um, done as efficiently without understanding of the first two. Yeah, we, we used to call it return on energy, ROE. Mm. And we, would, uh, yes. we looked at that kind of early in our business. And frankly, we, it's a good reminder because we got a little bit away from it as we've grown. But, um, you know, it, it was a really smart move back then because there was, you know, you suck up that energy with, with a project or, or a person, you yeah. know, uh, maybe a, a, our first year in business, I think I fired five clients out of 35 because wow. those five, they just didn't respect us. That's it. They didn't value us yeah. at all. They, I mean, they were they had money and they right. were producing a, a, a revenue and a profit for us, but they didn't care and they didn't and they were never going to trust us and they were never going to get on board. I want everybody listening to pay attention to what Chris just said, that even though you were profitable and you were making money with them, it wasn't worth your energy and okay. you got rid of them. And I, I firmly believe in that. Some of the people out there in business that I admire also do that. I've, um, I've empowered every single person who works in the sales side of my business mm -hmm. to say, if you have a customer that is depleting you and depleting the company of resources significantly, then wrap up the relationship, give them their money back and tell yep. them to have a nice life. Right. And it's not about, you know, who's good and who's bad. It's yep. just about, it's just not worth it. Mm -hmm. We want to spend our time on people who really value what we do. Yeah. Boom. Done. <laughs> well said. What do you guys have coming up? Oh, anything, man. anything you'd like to share? Yeah. Some, some just, I just want to prognosticate with people about the world. So we have this public offering. Obviously, um, encourage you buy some stock, be part of our journey, be a shareholder with us. We'd love to see you do that. In addition to that, um, the company has a new, what we're calling our Core Plus Fund for some of our folks who are looking for just that regular income into retirement type investment. And so that's going to be investing in income producing real estate that produces a regular dividend out to the customer. And especially in this environment where we can buy distressed again, so we're getting cheaper prices, right? Um, so that's another mm -hmm. big component of what we're doing. And then in the world of, uh, you know, when I look at what's going to happen, okay, we got an election in November, right? Either Trump's going to get reelected or Biden's going to get elected. One of the two. Either one of them, whoever wins, is going to be looking for a win. 
there's not many wins left legislatively <laughs> in the country right mm-hmm. now. One of the things that I think will get done is there will be a massive infrastructure bill, probably a four plus trillion dollar bill to reinvest back in the infrastructure of our own country because both sides support that that concept. And so um, we're looking at how can we take that and contribute back to the communities that we're investing in as an impact investor in opportunity zones, et cetera. Infrastructure means roads and bridges and, and, and mass transportation, but it also means things like schools. What if we built trade schools? What if we helped communities that needed help get access to the ability to get a great job as a skilled trade and maybe that lifted up those communities even further. And so we're like, you know, we're, we're sort of prognosticating in the future, looking at what are the what are the great things that could come out of what will happen next, um, and how can Caliber be positioned to be a part of that? How can we be positioned to invest in manufacturing facilities, not necessarily the the, the business itself, but standing up the facility, putting in the equipment, and allowing an entrepreneur to start manufacturing back in America versus outside of America. So all those things are really exciting to me. Lots of really fun and exciting and difficult projects to work on. And um, I just, you know, I'm super grateful for a chance to tell our story and share share what we have going on. Well, the world is listening now. So you got, <laughs> it's a global bug as my friend. So yeah. um, where can everybody find you online and all these different opportunities and all these things? So, you know. Yeah. So the main website is www.caliberco.com. That's C-A-L-I-B-E-R-C-O.com. If you an email Chris at caliberco.com, that comes straight to me. I That's will awesome. answer your email just you like go. you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm at, at heart. I like to talk to people who listen uh, to what we do, and I'm the first person who's going to see that. And then on top of that, if you want to find out more about the public offering, you just go to investcaliber.com. That'll redirect you to our listing on Seed Invest, and you can find out all about the company there as well. That's awesome, man. I appreciate having you on, man. That's yeah. you know, it's it's great. And uh, I would say this to all of our guests: um, it's a journey-driven podcast. So. You know, six months from now, a year from now, could look very different. <laughs> Actually, usually about six minutes from now is starting to look very different these days. Um, but you're welcome back on anytime and to Thank talk you. about, you know, how things have been changing and what, what's been happening in your world or any other even topic, even if you want. It's like outside of business, you want to talk about like, you know, entrepreneurs, not even entrepreneurs, emotional intelligence. I don't care. You know what I mean? Anything you want. You tell me what your audience wants to talk about and maybe yeah. I'll have something to add to the equation. Perfect. You know, I'm, I'm becoming a big dork on online equity crowdfunding and learning about that space even further. So uh, maybe we can uh, add some value to, to entrepreneurs who want to raise money online. Yeah, actually, I think uh, that'd be a great topic because I know a lot of people always ask like, hey, how do I make this happen? That right. happen? And I, you know, sometimes give the first one like, well, <laughs> <laughs> First, you should make a little bit of cash flow <laughs> or at least validate or something. You That's know. a good but start. I, yeah. you know, <laughs> but uh, but no, thank you again for being on the on the show. And I really appreciate it. So thank you. Absolutely. So for everybody listening, please, please check out caliberco.com. Chris Loeffler, you can reach out to him, um, you know, and they've also got uh, invest caliber, invest, investcaliber.com, investcaliber.com. And that'll take you to see it invest if you got any questions there. And, uh, you know, and just reach out to him, even if you just have general questions, like he's available. I tell you guys this all the time. This is a resource. And if you don't actually take the time, there's not much else I can do. You know, like uh, there's an yeah. expression out there. God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> like, you know, like, I agree. You know, source, universe, whatever you believe. I'm just, but the point is like, you have to like take that, you know, that step. I um, will respond to everybody who reaches out. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. And so for Chris Loeffler and, and Caliber uh, and CaliberCo.com, if you guys want to go check that out, please do. Uh, myself, Matt Gottesman, and Hustle Sold Separately, we are out.